Anyways, welcome all. Hope you can hear me. Can I just get a thumbs up from someone to see? Okay, perfect. You can hear me. Uh, I'm not going to entertain any questions now because I'm totally useless with this uh, platform. Uh, but I will, as I said in my tweet, head off to uh, hopefully answer questions from the subscribers after we finish here. I just wanted to spend a few minutes uh, connecting with you guys in a, you know, in a different manner, in an auditory manner. Uh, first, I wanted to begin with a tweet that I posted yesterday, which has really, really, I mean, gone super viral. It's quickly approaching 10 million views. It's been covered all over the place. It's not a, it's not a positive message, but it's one that's realistic. And so I thought for any of you who did not have a chance to, uh, hear or read my words, let me mention them here. You are not going to like this tweet, so turn away if you are likely to be triggered. I am a very optimistic person. I am a fighter for Western values and liberties. I am a dogged defender of science, reason, and common sense. I must say, though, that I am unsure that the West can recover from its multi-front civilizational suicide. Yes, I've talked about these issues for decades, and I wrote a book about it, but the past few weeks have crystallized the extent to which the problem has become intractable. It will be a long and ultimately bloody demise, and the West will be the first society in recorded history to fully self-implode due to its parasitic ideological rapture. It is a gargantuan Greek tragedy that will shape the future of humanity. This is not hyperbole. Your grandchildren will pay a very high price for your, quote, progressive arrogance rooted in the pursuit of unicornia that only exists in the recesses of deeply flawed, parasitized minds. So, I mean, I don't think the message that I said there needs any uh, further explanation, uh, but, you know, it's quite disheartening on so many fronts. So, number one, two weeks ago yesterday, there was a astounding attack on 1,400 people, men, women, children, babies, elderly, apparently Holocaust survivors. Now, of course, people can always unfold, no, it's your fault, no, it's my fault. No, they're only trying to uh, fight against the Zionist occupation and so on. I'm going to leave those arguments for now, but any person who is a moral person, a deontologically inclined person, can look at what happened on October 7th and say, hey, no matter what the context, what the situation is, this seems like it should not belong in a civic society, to put it mildly. And that anyone who then has a non-broken compass would say, I'm outraged. And again, let me put this in context. Many of you know my background. I'm Lebanese Jewish. I didn't have a good childhood growing up in Lebanon. I faced a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of genocidal Jew hatred. And yet, when I saw the images of what ISIS was doing to Muslim people, right? This this is not my fight, right? When they, there's a famous uh, clip where they are taking thousands of men to the border of, I think, the Euphrates River and pulling a bullet in their head as each of these young men is being, I mean, literally walked to their death. 
I saw that clip and I was furious. I was fuming because my moral compass does not calculate, oh, these are not Jews. These are not members of my tribe. Therefore, you know, who cares about them? No. My moral compass operates in a way that says, this is an outrage that this is being done to these men. Most of these men are undoubtedly good people. Most of these men do not deserve this fate. And therefore, my anger is targeted to that reality. So you could be Palestinian, you can be pro-Palestinian, you could be for a two-state solution, you could be for whatever you want politically. But there is no way that a human being can see what happened on that day two weeks ago and say, I'm going to talk it away. I'm going to minimize it. I don't care about it. They deserved it. It didn't happen. If it did happen, it wasn't that serious. Once you start engaging in that kind of equivocation, you've lost, you've lost a large part of your humanity. Right? Again, for those of you who don't know, there are almost there's almost no one who is as well placed to speak about this issue as I am. Right? I'm born in Lebanon, I'm Jewish. The PLO came into Lebanon. A civil war started involving PLO militia. My parents were kidnapped by Palestinian militia, Fatah. We were driven to the airport by PLO militia who could have driven us to a ditch and put a bullet to our head. We wouldn't have been able to leave Lebanon were it not for those militia. I can't say whether it's because they're so kind and lovely. I'm sure there was money that was exchanged but what i'm saying is oh by the way our home when my parents returned to lebanon after we had emigrated to canada they went back for several additional trips one of which they were eventually kidnapped we found out that our parents our, our home had been taken over by palestinian refugees and yet i lived my life without holding any animus towards palestinian people right it's palestinians who tortured and kidnapped my parents. It's Palestinians who took over our house. We had to leave Lebanon, not only because of Palestinians, because of other militia groups that were hell-bent on putting a bullet in our head. But I recognize that not every Jew is nice, not every Muslim is nice or not nice. I judge people by the collective merits and flaws of their character. So there are nice and bad people in every group. But because of my classical liberalism, because of my dogged defense of individual dignity, I judge people as individuals. Okay, So all I did when I tried to go in for the past two weeks and weigh in is to simply be given a space to be able to say, my God, what a tragedy. Right, And, and it's, it's a personal tragedy in that I have Tons of family who lives in Lebanon, in Israel. I mean, I literally was right away contacting all sorts of people to make sure that all of the people that I might know were safe. But here is where the orgiastic hatred comes in. I wasn't allowed the dignity to even have the very human space to say, hey, maybe some of my family members were butchered or killed or raped. Right? right away, I was a Zionist occupier. I personally have nothing to do specifically with Israel. Right, I don't live in Israel. I've never served in the Israeli military. I have family who left Lebanon and moved to Israel. 
but I'm hardly, you know, you can go through my tweets and you can go through years of my tweets where I've never weighed in on anything to do with Israel. But I understand, for example, if there is someone that has relatives in Gaza that might be afraid of what their family is going through. I wouldn't send tweets trolling them, mocking them, demeaning them, boo-hoo, poor Gazans, crying victim. I would never do that because I'm a human being. But if you see the kind of hate that I've gotten, the Jew cries victim while he stabs you. If you see the amount of Jew hatred I've received, you would almost say, my God, I long for those beautiful days in the Middle East when we grew up having to hide our identity because it's nothing compared to what you're seeing everywhere. This past Friday, I had a departmental meeting at my university. I decided not to go because it, there were some security concerns. Yesterday, there was an event that I was going to go to, an official event, event at the university. I didn't go because there are security concerns. Who is at the root of those security concerns? Is it MAGA extremists? Who is it? Is it white nationalists? Who is it? Is it neo-Nazis? So we can all be for immigration. I'm an immigrant. I don't need to be lectured about the, the, the importance of having an open heart to those who may need the protection of a new society. But as I explained in my latest book on happiness, forgive the plug, I have a whole chapter on everything in moderation, right? Every, which of course the ancient Greeks told us about, Aristotle and his Nicomachean ethics talked about, uh, you know, the golden mean, right? A soldier who is too cowardly is a useless soldier. A soldier who is too brazen in his courage is going to end up getting killed needlessly. And so somewhere in the middle lies the optimal position. Yes? Well, same thing for almost anything that you could think of. That's what I explain in this chapter, that almost every phenomenon that you can think of operates according to the inverted U. Too little is not good, too much is not good, and the sweet spot's somewhere in the middle. When it comes to immigration, if you're going to let in millions of people into your society where the people have been shaped by a set of values that by definition are antithetical to some of the foundational values of your host society, it doesn't take fancy Professor Gad Saad to explain to you that that's going to result in problems. As I explained yesterday, and as I've explained many times in the past, many phenomena have only three possible outcomes, right? So take, for example, your weight. Any given day, the, the net set of decisions you make that day, how much you eat, how much exercise you engage in, will result in one of only three possibilities. That day, you will either put on weight, your weight will absolutely not change by a single nano ounce, or you'll lose weight. There's no other option. Those are the three states of the world, correct? Well, we could apply that principle to countless policy decisions. If you allow people in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who come from societies where according to several nonpartisan, in many cases, woke survey companies, those societies have 
95 to 99% of polled people exhibiting genocidal Jew hatred. Did you hear me? 95 to no. So you, you sample a thousand people from a society, 950 to 990 have very bad views of the Jew. Now you let in such people in the hundreds of thousands. So now I ask you, let's use the three possible states of the world. Will that immigration policy result in an increase in Jew hatred? Will it result in no change in Jew hatred? Or will it decrease Jew hatred? You don't need to be Isaac Newton or Charles Darwin to get this one. So now we get all sorts of people saying, oh my goodness. My God, this looks really bad. Hey, Dr. Saad, we should have listened to you. That pisses me off. Why? Not because I'm sitting in the back of the room with my arms crossed saying, hey, look, na, 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 I told you so. I, I hate that I was right. But if people weren't concerned with their own daily pursuits, today it's my daughter's sweet 16. Today I'm getting married. Today I've got to buy onions and tomatoes. Let somebody else worry about this. I don't need to worry about this. Come on, Dr. Saad, you're probably exaggerating this. But now all of my super smarmy, highfalutin, progressive lisp Jewish friends are like, uh-oh, we have a problem, Gad. Help us, oh Gad. Well, you're the ones who vote those people in. You're the ones who thought that Justin Trudeau was dreamy because, you know, you're liberal and he's the liberal party. There is nothing liberal about the liberal party. Nearly every single one of its foundational tenets is anti-liberal. But, you know, the word is liberal, therefore they must be. They must be liberal. And, of course, Justin Trudeau is tall. Who doesn't want a tall leader? Plus, he's young. Plus, he's got nice hair. So screw all of those, you know, deep things that I need to be thinking about before I make a vote, before I cast my vote. He, I'm just, I'm liberal, and he's the liberal party, so I'm Jewish, so I'm voting for him. Now let's take it to the United States. Donald Trump is an ogre. Donald Trump is a Nazi, who, by the way, happened to be super pro-Jewish and super pro-Israel. But he's disgusting. He's an existential threat. As the Malibu meditator explained to us, you know, he's much worse than Osama bin Laden. He's much worse than Hitler. And therefore, we need to do whatever we can to make sure that Joe Biden, because we can uh, wins, because we cannot afford to have uh, the orange Himmler come to power. This is why I wrote the parasitic bind, because when I wrote the parasitic bind, I explained that I have faced two great wars in my life. The first great war that I faced is, of course, the Lebanese Civil War. The second great war is the war that I've been seeing for the past 30 plus years, which was the war against reason, against evidence-based thinking, against science, against logic, against modernity, against freedom. And all of it is cloaked in the language of progressivism. And yet nothing about it is progressive. It's grotesque, it's parasitic, it's anti-human, but yet we attach the word progressive and liberal to it, so it must be good. This is why I've also often explained to people who are willing to listen the expression in Arabic, 
that goes something like this. Getting drunk simply by smelling the cork of the wine bottle. Right? What does that mean? It basically means that someone is of such weak constituency that they don't need to go through the hassle of drinking a bottle of wine to get drunk. They simply smell the cork and they're already drunk. Now let's apply that to most of people's thinkings when it comes to geopolitical issues. Let me now drink the cork or smell the cork of Obama. Did you hear that? Did you hear my whiff? Oh my God, I'm getting drunk. Obama is so tall. He's so lanky. He has such a mellifluous voice. He has such a radiant smile. And you know, he's Democrat. They're liberal. Therefore, I'm getting drunk. I vote Democrat. I may disagree with every one of his bullshit platitudes, but oh my goodness, I'm drunk by the cork of his lovely radiant smile. Plus, he's black and I'm cool. I love black people. Therefore, I support Go Black Panthers. Now, let me drink. Let me let me take a little whiff from Donald Trump. He's disgusting. He's vile. He's grotesque. Just like the Malibu meditator explained to us while, while we're, we're listening to his uh, meditating app. Everything goes back to Donald Trump. If you've got a toothache, surely it's Donald Trump. Go on back and listen to his podcast for the past five years. There isn't a single deontological moral principle that the Malibu meditator wasn't willing to violate in order to protect us from the orange Himmler. Well, now, as it turns out, regrettably, ironically, many of the positions that Donald Trump espoused and implemented are precisely those that the Malibu meditator would support. But he can't get that far. Thinking is too hard. I'd rather get drunk by smelling the cork of the wine bottle. So there you have it. You take a society that has defined itself by its capacity to engage in self-loathing. We're bad. We're evil. We're transphobic. We're genocide killers. We had slavery. We're built on the patriarchy. We're built on transphobia. Self-flagellation, self-flagellation. And then we, we allow, and because we want to atone for this original sin, Let's let in people who come from societies that are perfectly antithetical to the original foundational values of the Western canon. Boy, that's going to work out well. So what I said in that tweet is exactly that cocktail. Usually, if a bunch of people attack you, the only thing that stops them from winning is that the people who are being attacked have a survival instinct. They say, well, sure, you want to steal our women. But you know what? We're not too happy about that. And let's fight. And may the winner decide the outcome. But this is the first time where we say, hey, guys, no need to fight. We'll open the doors and have at our women, have on our children, have on our values, have our, our, our beliefs. Everything is up for grabs. But at least, please, don't accuse me for being a bigot. And again, maybe some of you have woken up now because you're seeing it in the open, but many of you tomorrow will forget. You'll go back to preparing for your daughter's graduating ceremony and getting the apples and making sure that uh, whatever you handed in your report on time. People have that temporal myopia. If it doesn't immediately affect me, 
Well, who cares? It's somewhere over there. That's how every gargantuan conflict begins. Or as per the uh, boiling frog parable, right? You put the frog, you start increasing the temperature bit by bit, just below the just noticeable difference, which, by the way, is a classic marketing concept. Well, the frog won't notice. And then one day it boils to death. Whereas if you put it in boiling water, it will try to jump out because it's a very rapid change from the room temperature to the boiling water. So this is what happens in the West, bit by bit. That's why originally, by the way, the parasitic mind was going to be called... Uh, uh, death of the West by a thousand cuts. And then, I, because I was going to use a neuroparasitological framework to explain these idea pathogens, uh, the, the title was changed. But originally it was Death of the West by a thousand cuts because that's exactly what we're seeing. So again, it's not that tomorrow the, the West will die, but have a longer view of history. What do you think is going to happen in 10 years, in 20 years? How safe is it going to be for students to come, Jewish students to come to my university. Okay. Go and find out the general dynamics at my university. I don't know if you guys saw there was a Columbia Business School professor, some young guy who, you know, suddenly woke up and realized that there's a problem. You know, meanwhile, when he was in diapers, I was already making those uh, claims, warning people that it's coming. I'm glad that he he spoke out. I'm glad that he did, and I actually advertised his his plea for action. So it's not as though I'm, I'm not happy that he did it. But again, regrettably, most people only rise up to action when it affects them personally. But that's cowardice. That's selfishness. That's self-centeredness, right? The hero is the one who says, hey, there's a person drowning in that water. Even though that person is not my family member, it's the right thing for me to jump and save them, right? We all see those Instagram clips where there's some incredible hero that goes in freezing water to save a, a baby deer or a puppy that's about to drown in ice. That's what a hero does. A hero is not someone who just stands up to defend himself or his immediate family. It's someone who sees someone crying in the alley and says, wait a minute, I can't just sit quietly while this woman is being raped by three guys. I have to intervene. And this is how I've lived my life. Right? My wife always tells me, what why do you have to speak out? Why do you take on all the stress? Just look, this weekend, I've spent most of this weekend, you know, ducking and weaving threads, all kinds of issues. Why do I have to do that? It's much, from a selfish perspective, it's much easier for me to just go about my business. I've done enough in my life. I have enough of a platform. I don't need more headaches, but because I care about the future of my children and yours, and so should you. So this Jew hatred, it's not that I only care about hatred towards Jews. There is any hatred towards anybody, towards Muslims, towards gays, towards atheists. Any hatred is anti-human and should be condemned. But as I've explained before, Jew hatred is the proverbial canary in the coal mine. Once that becomes tolerated in open society, then you have a problem, right? When you go see a physician, what does the physician do? They, the person will take a few of important metrics just to get a sense of your health. Hey, did you put on weight or lose weight? Hey, what's your blood pressure? What's your sugar level? So there are a few. Now, that doesn't mean that 
those are the only indicators. But if, if you pass those indicators, well, you, you're looking good. Your blood pressure is good. Your sugar level is good. Your cholesterol level is good. Your weight is good. Things are looking good for you. Let's do an EKG, make sure that your heart is looking good, right? So it's a quick overall per, you know, perusal of your, your, your snapshot of your health. Well, the same thing applies when it comes to when it comes to uh, uh, the health of a society, right? You can simply look and say, uh, what are some metrics that allow me to know whether our society is doing well in terms of freedom and so on? Well, you can't walk around today and say the N-word. 50 years ago, you could, and people wouldn't bat an eye. But we've thankfully made the changes in our general society so that if you say the N-word, you're going to suffer a social cost, as you rightly should. And for many, many years, when I moved from Lebanon, it, while I did see some anti-Semitism, usually from people who didn't know I was Jewish, usually people who spoke Arabic, uh, it wasn't in the open. It wasn't something that you could express openly. But I, I have to think about whether I should go to my university or not, because outside of my university, there are people doing the, you know, free, free Palestine from the river to the sea with all sorts of other chants that makes you think maybe I shouldn't go to school today. Is this the kind of society you want? Now, they start with the Jews, but it doesn't mean they don't come for you. And there is many, many hundreds of years of that history across many, many varied societies. So again, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. You're seeing it. And many people are now waking up because they're seeing it so openly. But again, even if it now quiets down and dies down, it's not going to go away. Because the problem is now inside your societies. Once you tolerate belief systems that are perfectly antithetical to free, enlightened societies, there is no coming back. And so again, as per Karl Popper's paradox of you know the intolerance, right? Tolerating the intolerant is a problem. To to you know to to paraphrase it uh, succinctly, you don't need to tolerate any belief system that has any tenet that is contrary to the foundational values of your society under the guise of religious freedom or under the guise of you know, freedom of thought. No, because those belief systems then serve as direct incitements to violence. Yesterday, I, I posted this, by the way, as a t tweet. Yesterday, my son had a soccer match in the, in the east end of Montreal. I have to take a breath because it's unbelievable what we're seeing. It really is unbelievable. And it's tragic. But anyways, my son and wife came to pick me up. My daughter was studying elsewhere. And when we got into the car, of course, I asked him, hey, did you win? How did you play? How was it like? And at one point, this is my 11-year-old son. He's the same age that I was when I was in the Lebanese Civil War. And then we came to Montreal. He looked at me and said, Daddy, if you were where I was playing soccer today and you were wearing a Magen David, you'd be dead. Now, why do you think you said he said that? Do you think you can try to predict what was the general demographic of the folks where he was playing soccer? 
Is this something that in the 21st century in Montreal, Canada, an 11-year-old should be saying to his dad, to his dad who went through what I went through when I was his age? And yet you should see the trolling I get. Boo-hoo, Jew. Cry some more, Jew. So imagine, I don't have the dignity, I'm not afforded the dignity to worry about the safety of my own family in Israel. I don't have the dignity or I'm afforded the dignity to state what my childhood tragedy is. I don't have the right to post something where people are saying, we know where you live, we're coming for you, because boo-hoo-hoo-ju, keep crying. That's what we're dealing with. So anybody who's listening to this, who is a good person, who's a decent human being, will say, you know what? I could do one of three things. I could either contribute to this and make the world a better place because of my individual contribution. I could do nothing or I could worsen things. The choice is yours. Again, there's only three possibilities. Nothing that I do or say comes from anything but a place of purity. And my ideals of purity are about truth and freedom, as I explain in The Parasitic Mind. You can't have a, a good society without complete freedom. Not freedom to say, let's go kill the Jews, but freedom of thought, freedom of speech. Of course, as long as you're not engaging in libel and defamation and screaming fire in the proverbial theater and inciting violence, I am a free speech absolutist. I do support the right of Holocaust deniers to spew their bullshit because those are just falsehoods that we can hopefully reject with better ideas, with better debating skills. But what is unforgivable on a human level is to see the just brazen, orgiastic, visceral Jew hatred that is found in every nook and cranny, everywhere that I now look. Everywhere. And this is not in the Middle East, it's not in Yemen, it's not in Pakistan, it's not in Syria, it's not in Lebanon, it's not in Egypt. It's at Columbia University, and at Cornell University, and at Harvard University, and at my university, Concordia University. So please don't think that the problem is going to go away. It's only going to get worse. I think I've spoken enough. I'm going to close this session. Thank you for everyone who came. And if anybody wants to join me in the subscriber-only session, you're welcome to, to do so. I'll be going there soon. Cheers, everybody. In peace. Hey, guys. Can everybody hear me? All right. We got the first person. First subscriber is joined. I'll wait a few minutes. I got three subscribers that have joined. I think we've got a couple of hundred subscribers. So let's see how many we can get. Uh, I'll be here for about 20 to 30 minutes. This is only for subscribers. My apologies if I haven't done much recently with the subscribers. It's been a busy time, let's put it this way. Uh, but I've never forgotten uh, your support, and I hope to be able to do many more of these. I think this might be the best way to do it, where I first do a spaces that's open for everybody so I can draw in as much traffic, and then the Q&A is reserved for... Uh, the subscribers only. Uh, all right, guys, uh, we can start if you want. I don't know how to, again, kind of navigate through all the mechanics of 
how to moderate such a session. So what I would ask is if you have any questions uh, and you want to, you want speaking speaker privileges, I'll grant you the speaker privilege, but then, you know, uh, get off. I don't know if you can, after I grant it to you, please get off the speaker privilege so that someone else can get a, a chance to speak. Okay, so does anybody have any comments or questions? I mean, of course, I could still just speak, but I want to open the floor to you. That's really the, the point of uh, this session. I've got I've got tons of listeners, or a few listeners, but I don't have anybody who wants to speak. Anybody want to start us off? Please take it away. Again, it's not hard for me to just talk, but I, I want to hear from you guys. Going once. Who wants to start? Okay, request. We got Eric. Here we go. Let me grant Eric. Uh, how do you... Wait a second. How do I grant you the request? One second. Request. Yes. Okay, Eric Davis, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Hello, yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, you recently viral pinned a tweet that's uh, rather pessimistic. I just thought I'd ask, um, maybe there is a turning point. You could uh, be rather optimistic about it. What may push this parasitic mind virus out of uh, colleges and whatnot? Could this be the turning point? Or um, are, are we, are, are we, I know you're on the, on the view that we are, we're past that, but if there is a turning point, what could it be? Uh, the turning point would have to be a cataclysmic change in what is required to solve the problem. And the, I mean, the, 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 the reason why the problem is quite intractable is because, you know, it's, it's, it's multi-pronged, right? It's not just that people have succumbed to parasitic ideas. It's that not only have they succumbed to parasitic ideas, but many of these parasitic ideas have led to the opening of the doors so that, you know, people who wish to do you harm and alter your societies have now come in in the millions. So it's a really multi-pronged attack. But at the very least, what you need to do is become incredibly intolerant of any ideology that in any way poses a threat to our foundational values right that that that's a non-negotiable right now the, the the reason why it is so difficult for most people to do that is because they view it as well you know i can't attack someone's most cherished beliefs because then that makes me a bigot that makes well no uh it makes you someone that has a functioning brain if we were to say today look uh well, well by the way why do we have laws against sedition we have laws against sedition because the, the law recognizes that there are certain beliefs that could be treacherous to a society. I mean, as per Karl Popper's, you know, tolerating the intolerable, right? So unless we're able to have the, the, the testicular fortitude to say, no, I don't have to tolerate Jew hatred that is openly condoned within your religion. No, no, no. I don't have to tolerate the mistreatment of women because it is tolerated in your religion. And now, of course, people come back and say, but no, but person X is in that religion and he doesn't believe those things. 
well, we don't care about what person X believes, right? My friend Moshe, who's Jewish, eats pork and loves prosciutto. That doesn't mean that Moshe is the correct representation of Judaism. Moshe is eating pork despite the fact that Judaism does not allow the eating of pork, right? So I don't need to know about your friend who drinks alcohol and eats pork and is gay and therefore that religion supports that. No, I need to study what is in your text. What is the foundational principles that guide members of that particular belief system? If those belief systems are incongruent with the West, it really doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what needs to then be done, right? I mean, it, it really, but the problem is no one has the fortitude to do that, okay? And again, I don't need to be lectured by anybody about the value of immigration. Again, I'm the first to remind people I am an immigrant and there are millions of people that belongs to all faiths and no faiths who are absolutely lovely and want to do nothing but positive things in their whole societies. But life is a statistical game, right? If I'm a physician and you come to me and say, should I smoke, doctor? I would say, well, if you want to increase your chances of not getting lung cancer, you better not smoke. Now, that doesn't mean that non-smokers don't get lung cancers, but life is navigating through statistical vagaries. And therefore, if you let in people that come from societies where, according to many different surveys, those societies have 95% plus Jew hatred, then it, does, it shouldn't surprise you that when the demographics of the host society changes, you'll see an increase in Jew hatred. So that's it. That's the only turning point. And I worry that the combination of parasitized mindsets coupled with all of the policies that come from such parasitized mindsets is precisely why I wrote the tweet yesterday. If people weren't able to galvanize together in unison in defense of humanity after the October 7th attack, and if that led to an increase in Jew hatred, then my tweet was really poignant. And that's why it became viral, because I think it resonated with people. People said, yeah, I get you. I think we're in trouble. Thank you, Eric. Let me go to another request. One second. Uh, there's a request from T-E-T-Cup. -T Is that how you say it? I don't know how you say it. Go ahead. Go for it. I gave you the floor, T-Cup. Go ahead. Okay. I agree. Um, the bigger picture is we just keep fucking doing it wrong every single time. Which part? All of it, man. I, I don't exactly know. I wasn't really prepared to be in this conversation right now. Um, but I would like to start a larger dialogue and get everyone to come to the table about everyone's individual beliefs. Because we can't police everybody we can't police everyone's side because we keep putting our fucking nose in everyone's business and it's it's incredibly dangerous it there's no way forward with that like like that's just what it is left right progressive liberal it doesn't matter we're all people we're all on this earth and if we can't learn to just 
talk to each other and go, hey, you believe this, I believe this, I'm not going to take it from you, period, then we can't go anywhere. We're just going to keep doing the same shit over and over and over and over. I, you know, I appreciate your, your idealism, but, you know, in the real world, not everybody believes in the, the lovely sentiments that you're expressing, you know, live and let live. Right? You're right. You're right. So, so therefore, if people are allowed entry into your country and they are steadfastly against the idea of live and let live, then one should not be surprised if when they get in sufficient number, they say, oh, no, there is no live and let live where I come from. It's my way or the highway. Right. And there is, you know, more than a millennia of data supporting that in many, many countries around the globe. So, again, it's only the, the weakness of the Westerners mindset that says I should never criticize someone's most cherished beliefs that gets us in this quagmire, right? But it's precisely people like me and people like Ayan Hirsi Ali and others who hail from those societies that have to explain to Westerners that the buffet of societies out there, outside of the West, is not how the West is. That's not how life operates for much of human history. Much of you, I agree, right? So. How do you get people to understand that? Well, I don't know if you can, but at the very least, what you can do is say, wait a minute, maybe we need to revisit our immigration policy. Maybe we need to have that. So, for example, take what's happening in the southern border of the United States right now. You know, in, yeah. in what world is it, fee is it reasonable that someone like me, a professor of 30 years, if I want to go and spend more than six months a year in the United States, I've been a professor at Cornell, at Dartmouth, and at UC Irvine. I got my MS and my PhD at Cornell in the U.S. The reason I'm saying that is not to flaunt my CV, but to say, I mean, few people are more American than I am as a Canadian. And yet... I have to abide by certain visa laws to be allowed entry into the United States. But noble, peace be upon him, Joe Biden and the Democrats think that it is racist to have borders. And therefore, many people enter the country, most of whom might be lovely and don't want to commit crimes, but many of whom are not so lovely and do want to cause mayhem. So, you know, it's not that complicated. My house is protected by the fact that I have a front door with a lock. If I keep my door open, probably someone will come in to do bad things in my home. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's why the parasitic mind was so successful, because I offered a framework for explaining how it could be that supposedly intelligent adults can be so hell-bent on their self-destruction. That's why I used the neuroparasitological framework, because it's only a brain parasite that can cause a human being or an animal to act in a way that is contrary to its best interest. There you have it, sir. All right. All right. Let me see if there's anybody else. Uh, do I have anybody else? No, nobody else. So uh, Eric and Teacup, you still have speaker privileges. If anybody else wants to ben, take it away. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to comment on Teacup's question. Sure. Um, I think Teacup may be a Lex Friedman sub as well. This live and let live, I think he may have been exactly what you were commenting on. Um, when I came to my question, we need to kind of embrace intolerancy 
to certain ideas. This live and let live is a utopian dream that's never going to come true. And I, I don't know. I well, live, live and let that. live, forgive me for interrupting you, live and let live works wonderfully when the great majority of the population abides by that rule. It's a classic game theoretic problem, right? So in game theory, you have distributions of people who are following strategy A and people who are following strategy B. And once the the, the, the proportion of the population tilts in one way or the other, then it becomes difficult for the people in A to survive. You know, it's a, it's a classic game theoretic conundrum. So if every single person in a society abides by teacups, live and let live, then yeah, of course, that's the perfect model. But once you get 10% of the people who don't believe in live and let live, you've got problems. Once you've got 20%, you've got bigger problems. Once you've got 30, 40%, then your days are numbered. And we, you know, we've got very accurate historical data that exactly supports that, right? So you can go to a society where at one point there was 0% of a particular religion in that society. And then magically, 100 years later, 100% of the people became of that religion. What happened to everybody else? Where did they go? Are you with me? So, yeah. so, so the problem is that the West doesn't have the stomach to say what every thinking human being is seeing but is afraid to say. So, for example, there are tons of videos now showing all sorts of... Now, in, in, in Europe, it's, it's worse than in Canada, and in Canada, it's worse than in the U.S., but again... It's only it's it's only a delayed reaction in Europe and all over in many many cities in Berlin and London and in Malmo and Stockholm everywhere you have complete stopping of of the traffic and there are public prayers. What do you think that action is? That says we are now in sufficient number, and we will now stop traffic when it's our time to pray. Right? Some people say, well, what's the big deal? Why don't we just be tolerant? If it's their time to pray, it's their... Well, no, because we believe in practice your religion in private. Don't stick it out and shove it in my face. Well, those folks will also abide by that when they're 1% or 2%. But once we're 20% or 25% or 40%, look out. We're coming for you, right? Play the victim when you are in the minority and show no mercy when you're in the majority. That's the issue, right? And again, Correct. And again, I have, listen, I don't need to be lectured by anyone about the fact that most people of most faiths are lovely. I have more friends and fans and supporters that come from the faith in question who are absolutely lovely. As I explained in the public spaces, it was both Muslims who were going to kill us and it was Muslims who defended us when we were being driven to the airport. So there is good and bad in any faith. But we're talking about ideologies. Does that ideology, is it congruent with Western values? If yes, then we should open more the door to those guys. If no, then we need to revisit the policy. And until you solve that problem, everything else is immaterial. This is like saying you have pancreatic cancer, but what I'd like you to do for now is worry about your eczema and your uh, uh, dandruff on your hair. Let, let's first solve your dandruff. 
then we'll worry about pancreatic cancer. Okay? Some ideological beliefs are cancerous. And, and by the way, communism is that, right? I mean, have enough people in the government who are communists, and then we're all dead, right? So, so it's not as correct. There is a monopoly on evil ideologies. So, so I'm not trying to, not that I need to say this, but I don't need to be picking on one. But ideologies don't have feelings. Ideologies don't have rights. That's what I explained in the parasitic mind, right? Don't be bigoted against individuals, but no ideology is above mockery, scrutiny, criticism, the disdain. That's what constitutes a free society. I'm Jewish. I support the right of Holocaust deniers to spew their utter bullshit, right? There's nothing more offensive than to deny the Holocaust. And yet, if I am a free speech absolutist, I have to put up with those assholes. So I get what free speech is about. But free speech doesn't give you the right to stand outside my university and go uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. How does the Israeli student feel when you scream that in his face? So I should be expelled from the university if I misgender you with the wrong pronoun, but you can call for the eradication and the gassing of Jews under free speech? That doesn't make sense to me, correct? Correct. All right, who else wants to speak? Let me just, I've got... I would like to. Oh, hold on, I got BJ. Uh, sorry, guys, I just want to bring in everybody. I've got BJ and I've got El Errante. The floor is yours. First, BJ, you can go, and then El Errante, you can take it away. And I'll only be able to stay for another 10 minutes or so, guys, but take it away. BJ. It's good to talk to you, brother. You too. Um, you know, this whole, everybody's been watching your tweets, and thank you for doing what you're doing and speaking out. Uh, my dad was a teacher, so there's always been this undercurrent of this level of sort of anti-Semitism, but it was kind of ignored here, at least my entire life growing up. Uh, I can't, I cannot believe the type of comments you're now starting to see. Um, my question is, firstly, two questions, and one is for Mike. First, did you ever anticipate it get, getting this bad? Have you seen it, you know, grow over time, um, based on your experience? And the other thing is with that phrase, from the river to the sea, uh, what they often say, not always, but there's a phrase that comes before that, which is, we want 58 states, we don't want two states. Maybe you can comment on those two things. Yes, of course. I'll start with, I'll start with the second one. The 58 states comes from the fact that there are 57 members in the uh, OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. This is the, uh, the organization that places under one umbrella the entire Islamic world. Uh, under Islam, there is the concept of the Ummah. The Ummah is the Islamic nation. So everyone, every country that is Islamic becomes part of the supra-nation. And so when you say 58th country, uh, that means that you want, quote, Palestine, as we say in Arabic, to be an Islamic country, right? So there is no two-state solution. There is no, it's, it's, we want it to be. Now, why is that? Uh, there, because there's also a principle in Islam that divides the world into two worlds, Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harb, okay? And so that's why it's very difficult for a lot of these uh, folks to argue against me or come after me, because usually to most Westerners, they just go, boo-hoo-hoo, you're Islamophobic, you don't speak Arabic, you don't know what you're talking about. It's going to be a lot harder to delegitimize me, given that Arabic is my mother tongue, and given that I 
I know what I'm talking about when I talk about these things, right? So Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harab is the fact that any country that is already under the dominion of Islam becomes Islamic forevermore. It can never be lost. And any country that is yet to be Islamic, inshallah, one day it will be placed under the unifying flag of Allah. That's doctrinal. That's there. That's It's those beliefs that drive the actions of the people who do the October 7th, right? It doesn't come from magic. It's not because they watched Oprah. It's not because they didn't get enough lack of art exposure. It's not because of climate change. It's not because of beard bullying. All of those causes, by the way, are actual causes that very, very smart, super progressive professors have offered as the reasons why there is Islamic-based terrorism. Right? That's what I discuss in the parasitic mind. So that answers your second question. As to your first question, BJ, uh, I hate to be the one to say, no, I'm not surprised by it. I couldn't exactly predict for you the rate at which it would accelerate. But you can go back to my public engagements for many, many, many years where I'm saying it's coming for you. It's going to turn into Lebanon. It might take 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. It's coming. There is no other possibility, right? A physician knows what happens when you get diabetes. It's not, it's not something that is mysterious. You get diabetes, we know how that transpires if we don't have an intervention. So I saw the writing on the wall. I kept screaming. Very few people listened, and now an increasing number of people are writing to me and saying, boo-hoo-hoo, I should have listened. But again, that speaks to what I mentioned earlier, which is most people are selfishly myopic in their worldview, right? If it doesn't affect me, then fuck it, right? I'm too busy buying tomatoes tonight. I'm too busy worrying about my exam tomorrow. Right? Because people also don't have the selflessness to say, let me put my neck where it doesn't necessarily belong today. But the minute that my fellow super liberal progressive Jews saw that now they were at risk when they're going to go to synagogue today in Montreal or Toronto or Mississauga or Detroit or Atlanta or Minnesota, now suddenly they're writing to me and say, oh, professor, what's going on? You see the same? But that's not how honorable people should act. Honorable people say, even when it is not personally affecting me, I should stand up and do the right thing. Because as Ronald Reagan reminded us long ago, every generation requires that we defend freedoms with all of our might. Because in every generation, there are folks, not just the folks that I've been talking about, all sorts of folks. Uh, AOC is one of those folks. She's not Islamic, but she's a moron who believes in socialism. So in every generation, there are people who say, we don't want your freedoms. We have a better idea for how society should be organized. And God willing, inshallah, if I have the power, I will make you abide by my, by my worldview. And so this is why Ronald Reagan was so uh, uh, poignant when he made that, that quote, which is, stand up at defense and defend those freedoms but most people say ah come on it's never going to happen here but now you're seeing it so to to kind of summarize my my answer bj uh i couldn't have told you that it was going to happen in the last two weeks because obviously i couldn't have predicted that october 7 was going to happen but seeing the level of just foaming rabid 
orgiastic Jew hatred that I've seen, I think that it's much worse than most of us could have even predicted. Because now the mask is off and the Jew hatred is fully con condoned and, you know, let's have at it. So I'll give you an example. If I, uh, earlier today, I mean, just, just think how diabolical this is. Earlier today, someone had posted about the, 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 the endless, the, the industrial level rates of young girls, young British white girls in Britain, all of which, 99% of which were committed, committed by members of one particular faith who tell you that they are committing it because it is allowed in their faith. So they're actually saying that it is religi religiously sanctioned by their faith. So I, you know, again, I always speak in a very measured way. I simply retweeted and I said, could you tell us what is common to people who are committing those rapes? And then a bunch of Jew haters, typically these are more the kind of the, the, the neo-Nazi types. These are not Islamic Jew haters said, Yes, but it is the Jews who let in those people in those countries. So in other words, when Ahmad rapes a British girl, it's not Ahmad who should be blamed. It's the Jew who let Ahmad in. That's the level of how diabolical and soul-crushing Jew hatred is. Because it doesn't allow you to even believe your lying eyes. Because there could only be one source of calamities. It has to be the Jew. And therefore, every possible calamity, as I explained in chapter one of the parasitic mind, you got diabetes? Well, who is the who who creates the sweets and the sugar that causes diabetes? It's the Jew. Who's holding the the the, the cure from having you know the cure for diabetes is the Jewish doctor. If your wife cheated on you, who probably put that thought in her? It's the Jews who peddle pornography. And she probably got the idea to cheat because she was watching porn. So it's really the Jew. It's raining today outside. Who's probably behind it? The Jew. Now, if you think I'm being hyperbolic, I'm not, right? The Egyptians, there, there was an attack of sharks in Sharm el-Sheikh, which is a, a, uh, a tourist area in the Red Sea in, in Egypt. It was sharks who attacked some tourists. The tourist industry in the region took a hit. Do you know who the Egyptian authorities blamed the fucking shark attack on? I'm getting a phone call, guys. Hang on. What's that? So who, who did they blame it on? They blamed it on the Zionists. The Zionists apparently were training sharks to attack swimmers in Egypt because then that would be the way that the, the Jews would harm the Egyptian economy. And therefore, people go out on the street, death to Jews, death to Jews, right? So, but it was one thing when it was now contained in Egypt and Yemen and Syria and Lebanon and Pakistan. But now it's at noble Colombia. Now it's at my alma mater, one of the most prestigious universities in world history, Cornell University. Cornell was so Jewish historically that it's there are t-shirts you can buy where Cornell is written in Hebrew. That's how much of a Jewish university it was. But now 
you've got a Cornell professor who stands up, some of you may have seen it, and says, guys, how exhilarated were you when you saw Hamas doing what they did? How excited were you? And now he's taken a leave of absence. Now, why did this Cornell professor feel emboldened to say that he was exhilarated and excited at Hamas raping and murdering 1,400 people? Because he said, well, the political atmosphere is such that probably I will be viewed as a laudable person for saying that. So it doesn't take 500 years for the winds to change. It just takes for most of us to sit quietly. Let me go to the next person. El Erante, take it away, please. Thank you. Um, Dr. Gass, first of all, major respect for you being a champion and overall navigating this situation. And I can completely understand the state of uncertainty that you have. I'm sorry to interrupt. I have to go. Um, okay, so let me ask you a question. So, so uh, two, two questions. Uh, first of all, um, you seem to generalize uh, all the Muslims and unite us, but um, how do you distinguish and how do you make a, um, like a measured stance that you are actually capturing the whole sentiment? Aren't you aware of very strong push from within against any sort of literalism or angry defense? Sure. Question number sure. one. Question number two, how the historical context plays in and how the Iraq war and overall like uh, stupid decisions made by certain opportunistic uh, policymakers shaped into that because PTSD is a real thing. Right. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, first, thank you for your very respectful way of handling such difficult debates. I appreciate that. Uh, to your first question, I don't know if it was in the current subscriber only session or, or maybe in the earlier one where I was speaking to everybody, I specifically said that, uh, I'm the first to recognize that there are lovely people in all faiths and bad people in all faiths. And I, I specifically said that it was Muslims who wanted to kill us in Lebanon and it was Muslims who saved us in Lebanon. And so, and I specifically said that I probably have more friends and supporters and fans who are Muslim than most people will ever know. So again, I, you know, it becomes cheap for me to say, and in a sense, it's insulting for anybody to think that I'm not sufficiently reasonable and liberal to recognize that even though most people of any faith might be very nice, we have a problem with Islam, right? Now, when you say that many people are trying to fight against, you know, literalism and so on, well, they're not fighting hard enough, if I may say respectfully, right? Because every single person who dies at the hands of those people who do take literally the words in their doctrines is a person who suffered a tragedy. By the way, as you know, most of the people who are victims of that literal interpretation of their faith are other Muslims, right? So, and as I said earlier, when I saw, you know, 1,500 young Muslims being uh, walked to the border of the Euphrates River and put a bullet in their head by ISIS, I was just as angry when I saw that, Mr. Erante, than I was when I heard about the killing on October 7th, because my moral calculus doesn't get angry if it's only a person of my faith that gets killed, right? So, so I'm wholeheartedly with you. Having said all that, it would take a profoundly either ignorant or dishonest person, none of which I believe you are, to say there isn't a problem inherent 
to some of the doctrines of the faith. Would you consider that? Absolutely, there is. And sorry to interrupt, but please, that we are very, very strong. Like, there's a very strong activism inside. We want to build Nizamiya 2.0. Uh, you, uh, you guys should research how Seljuks solved this radicalization problem. And I just wanted to let you know that within Muslims themselves, there's a real activism, a real anger against angry bearded men. So I just wanted to tell that. No, well, thank you. I mean, I think that... I've always thought, to be honest with you, the problem is going to be solved if there's ever a possibility for be to for there to be a reformation within Islam that allows it to become you know more congruent with Western values. Now, the reason why I'm pessimistic about that, and I'm I'm perfectly happy to be proven wrong. I would love nothing more than to be proven wrong. Is that within the doctrines of say Christianity? there was the possibility for the light of reformation to come in. The, the, the unique difficulty with Islam, as, as I'm sure you know, and maybe some of our other listeners know, if you start off with the premise that not a single harf, as we say in Arabic, not a single letter in the uh, religion is wrong and is eternal and is inerrant, then how can you apply the tools of reformation to change that, right? So here's one way that you could. And now I'm going to get technical regarding this, the specific doctrines of Islam. Some of you may find that interesting, others may not, but it's, it's worthwhile because we have here a speaker who, you know, who, who clearly understands some of these issues. Uh, so there is a, the, the concept of abrogation in Islam, okay? So an abrogation... I see your hand, El uh, Erante, and I'll, I'll, I'll see the floor to you in a second. I'll, I'll let you speak in a, mo- a minute. Just let me finish the point. I'll, I'll see the floor to you. Abrogation is the following. So there are two periods in the Quran. There is the Meccan period and the Medinan period. So in the Mecca period, uh, Muhammad was preaching actually some rather you know peaceful stuff. But in all of his proselytizing during that period, he wasn't able to draw many adherents. Then he had to leave Mecca and went to Medina. And in Medina, his message changed. It became a lot less friendly. Okay. Now, you don't need to believe me. You just have to. There is this thing called Google. There is this thing called books. You can go read it yourself. Okay. So in the Medinan period, he became a lot less, let's just say, politely tolerant. And certainly a lot less tolerant to those diabolical Jews, okay? So now there's a problem. How could God, on the one hand, say X, and then later say not X, or vice versa? So then the the concept of abrogation came along, which is when there are two contradictory messages, then the later one abrogates the earlier one. So if earlier I said you should drink an, an espresso, but later I said you should not drink an espresso, then you should not drink an espresso becomes the operative edict that you should follow. Yes, you follow? So now here's what I suggest. Find somewhere some new abrogation that says all of the violent stuff is forevermore abrogated to never be used again. So don't sit there and try to interpret what does kill, kill, kill mean? And could kill, kill, kill mean kill with love and kindness? That kind of reformation which... Majid Nawaz, uh, Nawaz was trying to put is, is bullshit. There's been many, many 
very, very smart Islamic theologians that have tried that approach and it has always failed. You have to have a wholehearted, full throttle reformation of all the stuff. So, so again, Islam has a spiritual element, which is very beautiful, and it has a political element. Regrettably, about 90% of Islam is political Islam. Now, Sufism, which is a sect of Islam, is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. So again, people think that when I say the things that I do, I, I mean, very few people will be able to go toe-to-toe with me talking about Islam. So it's not as though I don't know what I'm talking about. I come from Lebanon. Arabic is my mother tongue. I could recite those passages in Arabic. Okay? So I get it. There are hundreds of millions of lovely Muslims, but yet they sit idly while others act on those beliefs. So how many people need to die before we rise up against this? So yes, maybe you're right, Mr. Erante, maybe there are people working on the Reformation, but they need to work at it much more quickly and much more assiduously. I cede the floor to you. Take it away. Yeah, thank you so much. So I think uh, even though if you reform it hundred times, as long as there's oil or lithium in Islamic territories, so I missed what you said. Could you repeat it? You were mumbled. Can you say it again? Oh, sorry. Uh, so no, no matter how many times you do reform, unless there is, a, uh, you know, oil or lithium in Islamic territory, there's going to be some other pretext for, uh, you know, guerrilla fighters to emerge magically. Right. So I, I think um, here's the one thing that I wanted to share in regards to my heritage. So I'm coming from Khorasan and Merv is the birthplace, basically, of uh, Islamic strand that we follow. And uh, we trace back to uh, the Sahaba Buraija and Hakim al-Ghazari, who both, two of them, actually were prosecuted by Umayyad caliphs. And my father's side is coming from Buraija, and so I'm kind of uh, carrying that generational aversion against uh, the religion being the tool in terms of in, in hands of photograph. And there's a very robust sets of tools, very robust sets of like uh, dealing with these things. And um, I, I don't think you can reform anything. Even if you do reform, there will be plenty of bad players or intelligent agencies, to be frankly speaking, that they can come up with their own stuff. And then they just keep uh, motivating these angles. I think we need to tackle this very seriously, fundamentally. But I want to give you some, I don't know, you, you may believe or not. Sure. The Turkish Union is uh, a new entity which is emerging. And the Turkish-speaking people specifically, because of that trauma and because of the strand we have and against, you know, politicizing, against really trashing the religion by making it as a power uh, tool. So we actually push back against it. Right now, you know, God gave us the power again because uh, Turks, have, Turks have the military superiority. But right now, we're just cleaning up the house and rebuilding this whole thing. And one thing that needs to stop is opportunistic funding of this jihadist, which I'm very, very against. There's a lot of uh, you know shady things going on, which actually hurt our code. But yeah, beautiful. I'm very way, look, look at this, right? It, look at the difference between you and I being able to sit. No nastiness, no hate, no emotions, just... Two people having a conversation, right? That's how civilized people resolve their issues. But if I now the reality is, if I may speak of myself, I'm I'm hardly one who says 
things. I mean, yes, sometimes I could use sarcasm and satire and so on, but I truly come from a place of purity. And yet, honestly, if I showed you the amount of hate that I've received, you would say, my goodness, this is truly unbelievable. That hate is not coming from Orthodox Jews. That hate is not coming from, you know, uh, MAGA extremists from Arkansas. They're oftentimes coming from, you know, unfortunately, your co-religionists who don't have the reflex to be able to tolerate that someone might think differently from them. Because again, think about it. Most people that come from, from, uh, from Islam usually come from societies where they are the grand majority, right? They're 95, 98, 99% of the population, right? In most places, even in Egypt, there's only about 10% Coptic Christians, that the rest are Islamic. So there isn't a reflex for most people to say, let me tolerate someone who may disagree with me, right? Now, until you develop that reflex, then you, it's going to be very difficult for many of these folks to integrate within a society where, where the society is built on the fact that we all come with many different beliefs, right? So, so this is why I said earlier that, you know, I don't need to be lectured by anybody about the, the beauty and the value of immigration. I'm an immigrant myself. But for God's sakes, you can't allow, you know, at Germany allowed millions and millions of completely unvetted people who come from cultures and again it's not one culture right it could be yemen and pakistan and syria and this and that and those people don't have the same tradition of freedom of speech so therefore if you come to a society where it is perfectly acceptable to criticize christianity or criticize hinduism or criticize judaism and suddenly you draw a a a cartoon of the prophet muhammad then they're going to come for you because they don't come from societies where that's tolerated, right? So I that's why I was very pessimistic yesterday when I put that tweet, when I posted that tweet. Because, again, this is a problem that is intractable unless reasonable people like you, Mr. El Arante, can sit down and have productive conversations without making death threats against anybody who disagrees with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate yeah, it. I will, um, yeah, uh, I will uh, just conclude with that. We're doing it not because of you, not because of any any hatred outside. It's because of we feel betrayed. We feel like somebody is hijacking the religion. Right. That's a very strong anger that we have. Like uh, the representative of really like golden age of Islam. So, yeah, I, like we, our motivation is very strong. Our, you know, means are also powerful because we follow science and reasoning. And yeah, I will actually record probably a reaction to this. Where I'll speak about many things. I don't want to take up too much time. But God bless and be safe. And I will actually come and protect you. Oh, uh, you are you are too kind. Shukran, Habibi, and uh, may may the good vibes be with you also. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, let me go to the other two speakers. We got. Caleb, and we've got Connor. Maybe we can go with Caleb, and then we'll go to Connor next. Take it away, Caleb. Caleb, are you there? No, I am. Where I can't hear you. Where's the fat gap picture from? <laughs> where's the fat gap picture from? Yeah. <laughs> Well, there are many fat dad pictures because I was fat for a very long time. So I don't know which one you're talking about. Are you talking about the one that was in the in the list that came out yesterday by some uh, crazy person? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, that one might have been some media that had taken a picture of me for some article. Uh, I think that's what it was. 
I thought it was really funny. <laughs> the way you responded. Also, my wife has something to say. I'm walking on. I don't forget that. I, 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 I just wanted to. Well, yeah, go ahead. Hello. Hi, Dr. Gatsan. I am from Afghanistan. I just wanted to tell you how thankful I am that you're speaking about this. You're standing for the liberties and Western values, and I do stand for those values as well. And me and oh, you understand you. from the background that we are from how much hate we get for standing for Western values and for trouble. <laughs> Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. And by the way, to the, to the earlier gentleman who was here, Mr. El Herante, uh, you don't know how happy I am when I receive emails from, from Bahrain, from Kuwait, from Egypt, from Pakistan, like you from Afghanistan, where people say exactly the same thing as you. Most people from any faith are lovely. But the reality is, if they don't fight themselves to change the bad parts within their societies, I hate to say it, then they are complicit, right? So thank you so much for your love. I appreciate it. May hopefully one day Afghan, uh, Afghanistan be free from all this nonsense. As, as I'm sure you know, you've seen those photos where women were walking around in the 1970s. You ever see those photos in Kabul? You see 1970s women and then you see the women today. My goodness, hopefully we can return to those liberal days of the 1970s because the Afghani people are beautiful people. Thank you so much. Let me go to, was it Callum? That was me. I just spoke. Oh, yeah, okay. So we, I covered everybody. So is everybody spoken? Everybody's good? I, I think you just gave me permission to, it's Connor. Oh, Connor. So sorry, go ahead, Connor. I, I said I, yes, go ahead, go, Connor. Thanks, Dr. Sad. Um, yeah, it's just been so sad lately seeing all this anti-Semitism. Um, I'm just, I'm over here in Sacramento, California, and I haven't seen so much anti-Semitism as currently I'm seeing in a lot of Twitter spaces. And I was just going to ask, I mean, what can I just, you know, this 28-year-old in Sacramento, California do, or any of us around the world to, you know, reverse these trends of, of anti-Semitism, of hatred? Thank you. You know, I mean, what other advice do you sure. have, you know, well, just, yeah. just speak well, out already, to my friends? Already, Jeff, exactly. Already you asking the question is step one, right? Because you, because you could easily just say, hey, this is not a problem of my concern. Now let me go watch the NFL, right? So already the fact that you're saying, hey, I want to come to the spaces. I want to talk about it. I want to see what I can help. Yeah, you're already well into step one. So you could talk to your friends about it. If your friend says, hey, I'm... Uh, I'm all for Queers for Palestine. You know, there's, there's an actual group called Queers for Palestine, which, of course, I responded. That's exactly like saying geese for foie gras, or as someone else said, chicken for Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? How could you be queer and be for Palestine, right? If you are queer, then you certainly want to be for Tel Aviv, which is an incredibly queer-friendly place. Gaza is not known for its queer friendliness, right? So if someone is, if you have a friend, you're sitting at the pub and they are, they identify as being a member of the queer community and say, yeah, yeah, queer for Palestine, then using the Socratic method, challenge them. What, what do you mean? How, what does it mean for you to be queer for Palestine? If you're queer, would you have a better life in Palestine or would you have, so in other words, just engage people. And usually if you do it in a way where, you know, you, you allow the space for the, the dialogue to take place, you can 
you can flip people. It's hard. It takes effort. It takes courage because oftentimes people are afraid to have these difficult conversations. But that's step one you could do. You can, if you're, if you always vote for one particular party, uh, that may be the 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 one who spawns all of these parasitic ideas. Well, maybe rethink voting for that party. So, for example, I posted earlier today a survey where I said. Hey, to my American Jewish friends, are you all still going to vote Democrats? Now, why did I say that? It's not because I wanted to turn the issue into a political one, but there is a very clear reality when it comes to whether the Democrat Party should should today be the home of American Jews, because we do know that there is a growing, uh, you know, group of anti-Semitic folks that are in the Democratic Party. So you could vote differently if you are a I know this may not be your case, you're a 25-year-old young person, but if you are a wealthy donor, as some folks have been doing recently, you might contact Cornell and Columbia and Harvard and say, hey, you remember that $5 million that was earmarked for you? F you. It's not coming your way. Because allowing Hamas supporters on campus is contrary to what I believe in, and you just lost $10 million. So. So there's an endless number of ways by which people can get engaged. I only just gave two or three. But all I ask for people is to at least have the reflex that you just had, which is, hey, how can I help? How can I contribute? If you see something on Twitter, for example, you know, people think that it may not matter when they send me a sweet message. It really does matter, right? I, because now I can't read all the messages I get. I, I get a million messages. But when I'm sort of quickly scrolling and I see a bunch of assholes, you know, attacking me, you don't think it's beautiful when then I see a whole bunch of other people saying lovely things, right? So you could you could just be supportive of those who are on the front line. You could fund those who are on the front line. You could subscribe to my channel. You could. So there's an endless number of ways by which people can contribute to the battle from very small ways to very large ways. Just get engaged. That's all I ask of you. How does that sound? Sounds really great. Uh, thank you so much for, for your insight, and I'm glad I can subscribe to you now. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. Who else? Do I have anybody else who wishes to speak? Otherwise, we went well well over what we were supposed to, but I'm glad I did it because I was feeling the increased pressure. I mean, I don't like to have subscribers and not feed you, you know, exclusive content, so I'm really glad that we had this conversation. Guys, please don't forget to, as I just mentioned to uh, to Connor, please participate in any way that you can. Uh, if you can't participate for whatever reason, support in very explicit ways those who are putting their necks on the line. Who I mean, sometimes literally, sometimes professionally, sometimes personally. Uh, just do that, and uh, hopefully we can turn the tide around. And hopefully the the pessimistic tweet that I posted yesterday will not come to fruition. Thank you all so much. God bless. And I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.